I'm a disciple of God, follower of God, then I'm discovering a hope that is unlike anything this world has to offer. If I'm his true disciple, then I'm devoting myself to belonging with and growing alongside those who share in that same hope. As God's follower, I'm developing a deeper and more meaningful hope each and every day. And I'm displaying that hope openly in my life and through my life for the whole world to see. That's what the Living Hope series is all about. It's about a journey that each of us needs to take to live out purposefully, intentionally, and passionately the hope that God has freely given us. But it's not a journey that we should take alone. It's a journey that we need to take together. So I invite you to share with us in Living Hope. Man, that guy was good looking. <laughs> uh, so I did want to invite you, if you have not done the Living Hope series before, uh, to join us on Thursday nights. Uh, so we're going to start next Thursday, June 18th, and I'd encourage you to come out uh, for that study, and it's four Thursdays in a row, and it's it starts really with the beginning of the Christian faith and works its way through fellowship and uh, kind of what we do in the Christian faith or what we're expected to do from God. So it's a video Bible study series, and I encourage you to come out. And then there's follow-up questions that we do as a group. So um, each study will be a little more than an hour long. So I encourage you to talk to me afterwards if you're interested in coming to that. And those uh, at the same time, we're having our de facto Bible study. So for our middle schoolers and high schoolers, we're starting Bible study back up on June 18th at 6.30. So um, if you have kids in that age group, I would encourage you to have them come out on Thursday nights and be a part of that. Uh, so we put out on Facebook today, and we send out an email today talking about where we are going forward. In case you didn't know, we change what we're doing every five seconds during this time. Uh, so we're hoping that we're going to be making some progress towards opening up. And what we're going to be doing is starting next Sunday, uh, we will be doing live services on Sunday morning at 8.30 and 10.30. Our Wednesday night services will be no more. Um, and if we get more than 50 people, which we expect we will, then there will be overflow seating over in our fellowship hall. We'll be live streaming over to there. Uh, we'll also be live streaming online at the same time. Uh, so we'd encourage you to be a part of that. We're doing signups just for this week. After that, we won't be doing signups because we'll just be doing overflow seating uh, so we encourage you to come out to our services on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30. Uh, we're excited to start opening back up. We're excited to be coming together and worshiping, the God, worshiping our God together because we worship a great God uh, through the storm. He is Lord of all. So if you would stand with us and praise him right now.
was filled with his praises. One day when sin was as black as could be, Jesus came forth to born of a virgin, dwelt among men, my example is he. Rising, he justified, freely forever. 
Amen. You may be seated. Well, this time we're going to watch a testimony video from someone named Saray Buck who, who started coming to our church just this last year. God has really touched her life and brought her to him. And in that time, coronavirus struck. And uh, so we weren't able to go to church. And Saray felt like God was calling her to uh, serve people during this time. And so we're going to listen to her testimony uh, and hear what God has been doing in her life. Hello, my name is Saray Buck. I am a mother, a daughter, a sister, an aunt, a friend, and a nurse. I would like to share with all of you my spiritual journey back to God. On Friday, November 16th, God intervened into my life. I felt I was at the lowest point I had been in my life. The night before I climbed into bed, I fell to my knees and prayed. This is something I had not done in many years. The next day, my prayers were answered. I felt God carry me as I drove to Panera to reconnect after 28 years with one of my childhood friends, Tanya Buck. Not only do we share the same last name, no relation, but we picked right back up where we had left off. It was as though time had stood still. Since our reunion, I count my blessings for our friendship and the love that I share with her and her family every day. By observing the Buck's dedication to faith, it allowed me to see that that was, was missing from my life. By reconnecting with faith, it has made the countless hours spent on self-reflection and self-improvement seem less burdensome. God has helped me to grow, mature, which has allowed me to gain insight and perspective of God's will and purpose for my life. I have learned to love myself. On September 1st of 2019, I walked through the doors of Hope Baptist Church for the first time as a parishioner. I chose a quiet corner in the back so I could make a quick getaway if need be. I had never felt so vulnerable. The music connected to my soul, ultimately bringing me to tears. This led me to depart before the sermon began. The following Sunday, I returned and decided to stay for the duration of the service. A video was shared with the congregation that day, carrying the message that everybody has a story. <clears throat> I was in awe of the strength that it took for that family to share something so sacred. The sermon to follow spoke of marriage and divorce. Each of us carry a story into the union and a story that contributes to separation. <clears throat> Today, I am grateful that I have gained, given up control, allowing God to guide me. I still attend Hope Weekly via the recorded sermons, even though my life's path has recently led me outside of Maine. I have shared the sermons multiple times at several patients' bedsides. On March 27th, I was watching the world's news, and a cry for help went out asking to have 100,000 nurses be deployed to New York to assist in the battle against COVID. This telecast spiritually touched me, and I knew in my heart that was where God wanted me to be. My first days were like encountering a war zone. Nightmares were to follow, and feelings of being less than worthy daily. God graced me with the strength to be the surrogate family member to patients, 
since their own family members were not authorized to enter the hospital due to COVID. I have held numerous hands at bedside. To date, I have sung worship songs to 15 patients during their final hours. As time has progressed, God has taken the wheel. Life continues to teach me, forgiving is not forgetting. But instead, it frees yourself from the emotional hold the person or experience has in your life. Give yourself the apology that you may never receive. Sending each of you love and hugs, and remember to be a light to someone each day. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, you know everything about us, and yet you joyfully, completely, and tenaciously accept us. More so, you actually enjoy and delight in us. This is heart-humbling and glorious. For we are the self-absorbed younger son that you welcome home, and the self-righteous elder son that you constantly pursue. We are the one lying at your feet that others would stone for their sins. And we are the hypocritical religious rock throwers. We have been up the tree with Zacchaeus and down in the depths with Peter. We easily see the speck of sin in another's eyes and yet ignore the huge log in our own. And yet you deeply, unwaveringly love us. Thank you, Jesus and help us. For as you have accepted us, you're calling us to accept others. There are many people, even in the body of Christ, with whom we strongly disagree. Though we are one in you, we are often quite divided when it comes to theology and sociology, COVID etiquette, and who should be president, how to raise kids, and how to spend cash. And that's just for starters. We need thicker gray skin and bigger gospel hearts. We love well when we show kindness without compromise and listen to learn. Teach, the, teach us the difference between essential and non-essential matters, Jesus, and the difference between acceptance and acquiescence. It gets fuzzy at times for us. Free us from the limitations of our perspectives and the prejudices of our heritages. Help us to remember that our Father's promise to complete his good work in us also applies to each one of his children. Burn this conviction indelibly into our hearts. It brings you great praise when we work to accept others as you accept us, Jesus. So we pray. In your matchless and merciful name, amen. Please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9 for our scripture reading today. It is good to see all of you, so it's good to be in person again. So we'll be reading Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 through 22. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, 
not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify through the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he who is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who has made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Amen. So what do you want to be when you grow up? Young children are often asked that question in school, and most kids don't really have an answer for that question, so an answer to it, they will usually speak of what their parents do for a living. My wife Wendy's mother was a nurse, and so when Wendy was asked what she wanted to do when she grew up, she would say, well, I think I want to be a nurse. But one day, Wendy needed to have some blood drawn at a doctor's appointment. And so when the nurse came to her with that needle and she saw the blood running through that needle and into the vial, she suddenly felt like she was going to throw up. And I think it was at about that moment that she said to herself, you know, maybe I don't want to be a nurse after all. There's too much blood involved in nursing. Now, it's not just nurses who deal with a lot of blood. Hebrews chapter 9 reveals that there is a lot of blood involved in our faith. The word blood is actually mentioned ten times in the verses that we read tonight. We will see today that the old covenant practice in Moses' day was a bloody mess. There was blood sprinkled on just about everything and everyone in the days of Moses. And the blood said to the Jews who worshipped, Behold the effects of your sin. It was your sin that caused all of this bloodshed. And today, we Christians are not much different when it comes to blood. This passage in the book of Hebrews speaks about the importance of the blood of Jesus for us. Jesus' blood is written about as being so much better 
than the blood of the old covenant animals that were sacrificed. It is not surprising then that so many of our Christian songs talk about the blood of Jesus. We sang about Jesus' blood earlier in our worship service when we sang the song Cornerstone. Other Christian songs and hymns about the blood include nothing but the blood. There is power in the blood. And are you washed in the blood? There's even a hymn called, There is a Fountain Filled with Blood. Now, non-Christians might think, you Christians are really weird people. You guys are more obsessed with blood than middle school boys. Why is that? But there is no doubt that the blood of Jesus is very important to our faith. It is very important because the blood of Christ is so much better than the blood of any other sacrifice. What makes Jesus' blood so much better? Let's look at Hebrews chapter 9 tonight and see some things, some reasons why Jesus' blood is better. First of all, you need Jesus' blood, not the blood of animals. We saw last week in the first 10 verses of Hebrews chapter 9 that even though animals were sacrificed on behalf of the people in order to pay for the people's sins, the blood of the animals could not give the worshipers access into God's presence. That blood could also not take away anyone's guilty conscience. There is a wonderful word, however, that begins verse 11. Do you see the first word of verse 11? It's the small word, but. Animal blood could not give you access to God, and it could not remove your guilt, but. But when Christ appeared as a high priest, then everything changed. Things changed because Jesus' blood was better than the blood of the animals that were sacrificed. One reason that things changed is because of what is discussed in verses 15 to 17. We read in verse 15 that Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised inherit, eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. What death has occurred? Jesus' death on the cross. It is his death that has paid for our sins. It is only when someone dies, of course, that the terms of their will go into effect, according to verse 17. The writer of Hebrews is saying that Jesus himself had a will. And what was the inheritance that would come to us as Jesus' family after Jesus died? according to the terms of that will. Jesus, according to verse 15, gave us an eternal inheritance. Jesus then gave us eternal life, the forgiveness of our sins, reconciliation with God, and above everything else, Jesus gave us the gift of himself. Nothing is greater than that. What an inheritance we have received because of Christ's blood. Verse 15 makes it clear that Jesus' blood 
redeems us from our transgressions. His death redeems us. His death brings us forgiveness from our sins. Some people might ask, well, why did Jesus have to die for my sins? Couldn't God have said, eh, I just forgive you. I will overlook what you have done. There's nothing to see here. Let's just move on. Let's call it good. Actually, God could not do that. God could not forgive us without blood because of what is said in verse 22. Verse 22 is one of the most important verses in all of the book of Hebrews, as well as in all of the Bible. At the end of verse 22, we read these important words. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. It has always been this way. God has always taken our sins very seriously. Do you remember what God said would happen to Adam and Eve if they ate of the fruit of the tree in the garden? Let's read together out loud what God said in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17. Let's read together. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. You sin, you die. That has always been the way that God has looked at our sin. It has been that way since the beginning of human history. But the good news of the gospel is that God has provided a sacrifice for us to die in our place. Jesus. If we trust that Jesus took our place on the cross, then we won't suffer eternal death. Instead, we can have the gift of eternal life. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it great what Christ has done for us? But because God is holy, every single sin that we commit must be punished. Someone must die to pay for my sin. Either I will die to pay for my sins, or Christ will die to pay for my sins. But God must punish every sin. About a year ago, I read the story of Oleg Gordievsky. Gordievsky was a Russian spy who worked for the KGB at the Soviet Embassy in London in the 1980s. But Gordievsky became disillusioned with communism, and so he decided that he would become a double agent. And he would sell, or actually he would give away freely, Soviet state secrets to the West and to London. This was obviously risky behavior on Gordievsky's part. Every Russian trader who was caught by the KGB would be tortured and eventually shot. And so my heart pounded as I read the story of how the KGB had caught on to Gordievsky's betrayal. As a result, they had taken him back to Moscow to interrogate him. I read as well how he had managed to escape, to climb into the trunk of a car of a British diplomat and to get across the border from Russia into Finland. If he had been captured, 
Gordievsky would have died because of his treason. Church, do you know what sin is? Do you know why God takes sin so seriously? Sin is treason. Sin is betrayal. It is betrayal because it means that we have gone against the one who has given us every good gift that we have ever received. Because of Oleg Gordievsky's treason against Russia, he betrayed the entire country that had raised him and nurtured him. He was actively working to overthrow his own country, to whom he owed everything. And when I sin, I too am committing treason. I am betraying God. God created me out of love for me. And God saved me through Jesus, also out of love for me. I belong to God then twice over. I belong to him as my creator and as my redeemer. God owns me. I am his possession, whom he deeply loves. And so when I sin, I am not just breaking God's laws. I am breaking God's heart. I am committing treason against the God who gave me every good thing that I have in this world. And the penalty for treason is death. There must be blood when such a great crime has been committed. The old covenant that we read about in verse 18 focused on the need for blood to pay for sin. We read there, therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. Blood was sprinkled on just about everything in old covenant days to purify the people from their sins, their sins of treason against God. We read in verse 19 that Moses took the blood of calves and goats that had been sacrificed. He dipped a hyssop plant in that blood and he sprinkled both the book of the law that he read from and he sprinkled the people as well with that blood. He sprinkled the blood in order to purify both the book of the law that was being read from as well as the people. And in verse 21, we read that Moses sprinkled blood on the whole tabernacle tent. And then he sprinkled blood on all the vessels that were used in worship at that time in order to purify them. The book of Leviticus says that blood was also sprinkled on the altar of sacrifice. It was sprinkled on the clothes of the high priests. And it was even sprinkled on the Ark of the Covenant one day a year. There was blood everywhere in the worship of the Jews. Later, when the temple was built, blood was even sprinkled on the doorposts of the temple. You couldn't go anywhere in worshiping God without seeing blood. Verse 22 puts it this way, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. The message was communicated loud and clear. If you want to be forgiven of your sins, 
something has to die. In the Old Covenant, an animal died to bring about a temporary forgiveness from God. This pointed forward to the blood of Jesus. It was Jesus' blood that would bring us complete and full forgiveness from God. Notice what Moses said when he sprinkled the blood of the animal sacrifices on the people in verse 20. He said, this is the blood of the covenant. Now, when Jesus introduced the new covenant at the Last Supper, he said almost exactly the same thing that Moses said. Almost. But Jesus changed one word. Instead of saying, this is the blood of the covenant, when he passed the cup that represented his blood to the disciples, Jesus said this, this is my blood of the covenant. He spoke these words in Matthew 26 and verse 28. Jesus' blood brings in the new covenant. And Jesus' blood is far greater than the blood of animals. It brings us final and full forgiveness. What we see in Hebrews 9 as well is that Jesus' blood came from a perfect person. And it was sprinkled in heaven. That's another reason why Jesus' blood is so much better than the blood of animals. It's where Jesus took the blood of his own sacrifice. We see where Jesus took that blood in verses 11 and 12. In verse 11, we read that Jesus went through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. The blood of the animal sacrifices was taken into the earthly tabernacle where the Jews worshipped. That tabernacle was made with, indeed, human hands. But this earthly tabernacle was only a picture of the heavenly tabernacle where Jesus would take his blood. And the tabernacle that is in heaven is not a building. It's not a tent. The tabernacle in heaven is simply the presence of God. We don't go into a tabernacle to meet with God in heaven. No. God is all around us when we get to heaven. We're going to see God everywhere when we get to heaven. And so the temple of God is not a building in heaven. The temple of God is simply the presence of God that we will walk into when we get into heaven. Jesus then did not take the blood that he shed on the cross into a building on earth. He took his blood into a better location. He took his blood into the presence of God in heaven. And where did the blood that Jesus shed, where did that blood come from? We read in verse 12 that Jesus entered once for all into the holy places not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Jesus then offered his own blood in heaven. He did not offer up animal blood. Jesus gave his blood for us. He was sacrificed in our place 
so that we might have eternal life. That verse 12 calls eternal redemption. Jesus' blood was far more precious than animal blood. Animals had to be repeatedly sacrificed in the old covenant to bring people a temporary forgiveness from God until they sinned the next time. But Jesus was sacrificed once, once for all. And with that sacrifice, his blood secured forgiveness of sins for his people forever. So let me ask you, what kind of person was Jesus? Where did the blood that Jesus brought into heaven, where did that come from? Verse 14 says that Jesus offered himself without blemish. Jesus was perfect. The animals that were sacrificed were without a physical blemish or a scar of any kind. They were perfect animals in that sense with no physical blemishes. But Jesus, he was without moral blemish. Jesus was perfect in every way. He never sinned. That is why his blood was so precious to God. Christ's blood was not the blood of any old human being. It was the blood of a human being who was also the perfect God in the same person. Jesus is both God and man. Jesus, as God, offered himself up through the eternal spirit, the Holy Spirit, to bring us eternal redemption. Now, at this point, some of you might have a question. You might understand that someone's blood, someone needs to pay the price for my sin if I'm going to be forgiven before God. Someone's blood must be shed. And so you ask, well, could another human being other than Jesus die for my sins? For example, what if a really good person offered to die for my sins? What if someone like uh, Katniss Everdeen, the lady from the Hunger Games, what if she offered to die for my sins, right? If Katniss was a, a real person and not just a fictional character, could she die for my sins? After all, she, she offered to die for her little sister. What a wonderful thing to do. What a good person she was. Well, even if Katniss was a real person, the answer to that question would be no. Why not? Because she is not perfect. In fact, there is no other human being who is perfect. Because she was not perfect, she would have to die for her own sins. She could not die for another person's sins. Only Jesus was and is the perfect God-man. Only his blood was precious enough in the sight of God to pay for my sins. So here is the question then. Whose blood are you trusting in to pay for your sins? Whose blood can bring you forgiveness from God? Only the blood of Jesus. No one else will do. No one else is without sin. So Jesus and Jesus alone can die for you to bring you forgiveness. 
Have you trusted then that Jesus' blood paid for your sin? If not, I plead with you today, trust in Jesus and Jesus alone to bring you forgiveness. Don't trust in yourself or in any other person to bring you forgiveness. Only Christ's blood is good enough to bring you forgiveness from God. Trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. Finally, we see in Hebrews 9 that Jesus' blood gives you what you need for your past, your present, and your future. What has Jesus' blood done for your past? Verse 22 again reminds us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Well, Christ has shed his blood for my sins at the cross. That means that every sin that I committed in the past is now forgiven. The fact that Christ's sacrifice was made once for all, according to verse 12, means that his blood is forever successful in bringing me forgiveness for my sin. Every sin that I committed in the past has now been forgiven and forgotten by God because of Christ's sacrifice. That means that I can go through my life free from guilt because the sin has been erased. All of my guilt is gone. And what does the blood of Jesus mean for my present, for today? Verse 14 says the blood of Christ purifies our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So the blood of Jesus changes how we live in the present. How? Well, the sacrifice of Jesus frees us from our guilty conscience in the present. When you are weighed down by guilt, you really don't feel much like serving God. You feel like you have to try to earn your way out of your guilt. You have to prove yourself before God by doing a bunch of good deeds. But what if all of your guilt was gone because Jesus shed his blood for your sin? How would that make you feel today? How would that change the way you behave today? Wouldn't that be liberating? Wouldn't that be a reason for joy if all of your sin was forgiven? The freedom and the joy would cause you not to try to earn God's favor, but instead it would cause you to serve God with gratitude and joy because all of your sins have already been forgiven. So now you can live with confidence that you are completely forgiven already. And so you can serve God with joy today, according to verse 14. You can serve with joy out of all that Jesus has done for you in forgiving your sin. And the fact that you are forgiven today because of Jesus' blood also means that you are not alone. There is nothing now that is standing in the way of you and God. The barrier of your sin has been removed. You are now completely reconciled to God because Christ's blood has forgiven your sin. So you are not alone tonight. Jesus is with you. 
because your sin has been forgiven. And so you are not alone as you deal with your sickness. You are not alone as you deal with your money problems, your family problems, your grief, your battle with sin. God is with you. And he stands ready to help you tonight as you pray to him. The blood of Jesus means that God is with you to help you in your present. And what does the blood of Jesus mean for your future? Verse 12 says that your life does not end with death. You have an eternal redemption. Not only that, you have an eternal inheritance, according to verse 15. You have a treasure that is waiting for you in heaven that cannot be stolen away from you. No matter what happens to the stock market, your treasure will always be there, waiting for you. In that place of the kingdom of God, you will live under the rule of a perfect king, there will be no evil in that place. There will only be love, love that flows from the throne of God to all who live in heaven with him. There will be no suffering in that place, no death, no crying, no pain, just joy. And you will serve this great God for all of your days in a job that perfectly matches your gifts and your abilities, all for the glory of God. Is that a great inheritance or what? Isn't that amazing what God has planned for us? How rich we are to have such an inheritance waiting for us. Do you think about that inheritance as you prepare yourself to go to heaven? The story is told of a man named Tomas Martinez who lived in Bolivia about the turn of this century. Tomas was a homeless man who struggled with drug and alcohol addiction. But then a wealthy relative of his died, and Tomas was unaware that he stood to inherit $6 million. That's right, $6 million. Since Tomas was homeless, the police did not know where to find him to let him know about this inheritance that he had coming to him. And so when Tomas heard from a bartender that the police were looking for him, do you know what Tomas did? He ran. He ran away because he thought that the police were going to arrest him for his drug abuse. And the police never found him. So Tomas never received his rich inheritance. He lived like a poor man for the rest of his life, even though he was a millionaire. Church, do you realize what God has already given to you? He has given you a rich inheritance, and you are guaranteed to receive all of these benefits in the future. So don't live today like you are poor. You are wealthy beyond your wildest imagination. 
not in money, but you have an eternal home with God and his people. What is richer than that? You will be with God in a place of joy forever and ever. That is your inheritance as a child of God, which has been secured for you by the blood of Jesus Christ. Church, the blood of Jesus meets your greatest need. Without the blood of Jesus, there is no forgiveness of your sins. There is no freedom from guilt. And there is no eternal inheritance. But with the blood of Jesus, you have all of these wonderful gifts. So Christian, rejoice today. The blood of Jesus has washed away your sin, has brought you near to God, and it gives you a rich inheritance for your future. Let's pray together. Jesus, how grateful we are that you shed your blood for us. We did not deserve this gift. We are traitors. We have betrayed you. We have betrayed your Father. And yet, out of love, you gave for us your own precious blood. Thank you for this amazing gift. Thank you for your great grace that brings us forgiveness that brings us hope for our future, and that brings us a desire to serve you with all of our hearts. God, we are a grateful people tonight. May we never forget the blood that you shed for us. In your great name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us again and worship? Thank you.
for the benediction. The good news of the gospel 
starts with bad news. Each and every person in this room tonight is a traitor. We have all betrayed the God who loves us. But the good news of the gospel is that this God who loves us gave us his son. And because of his blood, we have forgiveness and we have life. Celebrate Jesus and the blood that he shed for you. Amen.